Hello and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy at NatWest Markets. This series helps you to cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. So here we are now in the second half of the year. I'm going to have to resist the temptation to do too much of a look ahead today because our economics team is currently preparing their big third quarter stock take and forecast refresh. So we'll probably be talking about that more next time. But I will just highlight a few of the key themes and changes because we've also just published the abbreviated release for the uh, for G3 con, uh, forecasts. Um, overall on that, we are still pretty upbeat on growth with 5% GDP growth for the euro area, 7.1 in the UK, and then maybe no, fairly astonishing 9.3 in the US for, for this year. Um, we're not looking for that necessarily, though, to be especially for inflationary. And I have our co-head of economics, Michelle Girard, with me to talk about um, to talk more about how she feels that is um, panning out for the global picture um, in a moment. So I'll leave that comment there. Um, the other, I guess, change is that uh, we're dialing back our optimism a little bit on emerging markets going into the summer. And just to sketch that, we think that the good COVID stories may be, uh, you know, may be turned, for, you know, particularly for uh, some Asian economies, and uh, trade balances uh, are peaking. There's uh, a number of other things as well, but no, <laughs> I, won't, uh, I won't go into the details of all of that right now. Um, Data momentum, I think it's important to say, has also been especially strong in the euro area over the last week, where we've really had a purple patch of upside surprises from business and consumer surveys, um, all really surprising on the strong side of already very high uh, expectations. This week, uh, on the political side, the story was the breakthrough last week, I suppose, um, for the bipartisan deal on uh, infrastructure spending, which may be completed before the August recess. Um, there are some risks there still because Democrats are demanding to go ahead only with Democrat, only, or some Democrats anyway, uh, demanding to go ahead only with a Democrat-only partisan social package in order to make sure that they keep the centrists on side for that. Um, but it looks promising. And maybe makes July a little bit more interesting for fiscal policy than we thought, particularly with regard to the, the social package that most people uh, still have in mind for after the summer, which would be a much bigger deal for the markets. I think it's just important to repeat um, that you know, this infrastructure deal, it's not a deficit finance mega package. Um, you know, it shouldn't have any impact on this year's budget at all, in fact. So I'll just finish by saying that the start of July, we're all, all we're already looking ahead to, to summer conditions uh, you know, from conversations uh, with you know, with uh, investors. It seems that like expectations are already set for a fairly quiet July, and maybe that's right. Um, seasonally, July is often quiet, and positioning does seem relatively light again from the, the feedback that we've been hearing. But we're also aware that there's a lot of unresolved issues for the second half, which you know, are likely to come back sooner rather than later, we think. Um, you know, so maybe we're not looking for a quiet August as well. And the first is 
you know, maybe you know, there's, I mean, we have to watch what's happening with the spread of the Delta variant and, uh, and travel. And in Europe, where, where I sit, now that's certainly a focus because holiday travel is such an important issue. Uh, in the UK, we had a very close look at the data because obviously uh, you know, it's such a problem in the UK at the moment. And you know, overall, the evidence that we see is that vaccinations do mean that infections tend on average to be significantly less serious. So you know, unambiguous new good news there, I think. Um, and the EU, well, it's behind the UK on vaccinations, of course, but it's also about as far behind in the spread of Delta. So you know, at, the, at this point, we're relatively optimistic that that's a risk that can be contained. The other risks, uh, you know, I imagine we'll come back to those in weeks to come. So I'll just list them. Uh, you know, we have the inflation transitory or not debate. Now that's going to be ongoing. And the next important date that we have with um, significant data on that is actually tomorrow with payrolls. And uh, by the time you, uh, you actually listen to, to this, uh, that will have come out and you'll know how, that, how that's gone. We also have the equity earnings season later this month and Jackson Hole in August and an important um, sort of series of central bank meetings um, on QE tapering and, and so on from, uh, from September. And in September, we also have German uh, general elections and the uh, Angela Merkel transition. So you know, there, it's pretty clear, I think, that there will be plenty of reasons that we won't be stuck for things to talk about. So with that, I think we will get on to inflation and Michelle. So Michelle, inflation metrics are past expectations for Q2 2021, um, I guess fueling concerns that surging domestic demand has ignited long dormant inflation <laughs> pressures. What drove the recent increase? Well, you know, we have seen a, a surge in, in inflation. The you know, at NatWest, we have a developed markets uh, CPI measure that we track and the headline measure, three and a half percent year over year is the highest since 2008. Um, the, the core CPI uh, measure that we follow for de developed markets and, uh, is at 2.2% now. It's the highest in at least two decades. Uh, it, we've done a lot of work in, in tracking what's driving it. And, and we had published a global inflation piece a, a couple of weeks ago uh, that details this work. But breaking it down into categories that are COVID impacted, if you will, versus those that are not, it's very clear that this recent you know, upsurge, if you will, has really been driven by the rebound in COVID impacted categories, those areas that had been so depressed as a result of, uh, of lockdowns during the pandemic, um, you know, all coming back, the non-COVID impacted core categories or, or core uh, metric that we follow has actually moved down. So it is, it, it is at the moment very concentrated in areas where you'd expect to see the most price pressures as, uh, as the economies have reopened. Okay, and so I guess that brings us to the really big question. Do you think that, um, that gains are transitory or more lasting? You, you might think, right, if it's, if it's really coming from just the COVID rebound, that that would make it more likely that, it's, that it is transitory. I mean, one thing I would point out is that shortages and bottlenecks uh, that we are all aware of are, are happening uh, globally have actually led to an, an increase in, in the most recent months of, of prices away from you know, those COVID impacted categories. So we have seen a bit of a broadening out most recently. And that suggests to me that some of this acceleration might be sustained longer than people would like. So, so overall, yes, we think the, the magnitude of the increases are transitory. 
but we, yeah, and we have inflation do, you know, coming off over the second half of the year, but we still have that core developed markets measure holding above 2%, uh, you know, at the end of, of 2001. And, and so again, the magnitude of the range is, is transitory, but overall um, inflation may, may remain firmer than, than people might, might expect. Okay, so where do you see the greatest threat to inf- uh, for inflation? Well, it, not surprisingly, given that this is where a lot of that COVID rebound strength has come from, it, it is the U.S. where we see the you know the greatest inflation risks, um, and and really most of the gain in inflation that we've seen globally is at the moment emanating from the U.S., where of course fiscal policy has far surpassed um, what we've seen elsewhere around the globe. Okay, and you know what does that all mean for the response of policymakers, in your opinion? Well, so obviously that's been, you know, I knew that was going to be the next question because that has obviously dominated market attention in recent weeks. Will central bankers begin to, to think about raising interest rates and reversing course sooner than anticipated? I just will focus mostly on the U.S. where, as I said, the upside risks exist and clearly there with the Fed shift to a framework of, of allowing uh, an inflation oversuit, really institutionalizing that. Uh, we do think that the Fed is going to stay patient. I know markets are worried about action sooner rather than later from the Fed, given the, the outcome of the dots in the last meeting. We still think a you know, near-term action or move in 2022 isn't likely. And then in Europe and the UK, where actually the inflation risks are more muted, there and, and you don't, you, you're not likely to see um, you know, a, sh- a change in framework, uh, we, we do expect there too, policymakers will indeed be very patient. Well, thank you very much. A model of clarity as always. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Giles. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Weekly Watch. Please subscribe to our channel to get future episodes. We also encourage you to explore more of our content on our website and other social media channels.